You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, friends, it's your disabled... Well, let's try that out again. Hey there, friends, it's your favorite disabled person on the internet. Hello, it's Andrew Grizzly here, very quickly popping in to say that on top of this amazing podcast that you listen to every other week, I want to let you know of a new little side hustle that I've created for myself, and I wanted to invite you to partake in if you so choose. One of the things that I do for my family every year on their birthdays is I sing them a Marilyn Monroe-type happy birthday song. kind of goes like this. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Okay, you get the idea. So it's like that. And I, I decided to do it for sale. And I wanted to send you all a sexy, breathy, Marilyn Monroe-esque birthday message. Or any kind of message that you want. Whether it be inspirational, whether it be motivational, whether it be a funny message for me. So I would love to invite you, if you wanted to get a unique, fun gift for yourself or for someone else, you can pop over to paypal.com, sorry, paypal.me, paypal.me slash Andrew Gerza and give me 10 bucks and I'll send you a hilarious message gift for your friends, for yourself, for whoever you like. And if you want me to do it in a breathy Marilyn Monroe voice, I will do that for you. But I just thought I would throw this out on the podcast and offer that to you. So send me an email at andrew at com, and let me know if you want it, what kind of message you want. And I will make that for you right here in my home studio from your favorite disabled person, me, Andrew Gerza. Thanks, friends. Get yours today. Bye. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Before we start the show, I wanted to let you know about another disability podcast that I think you'll love. The disability community is not a monolith. Within the community, there's people of different views, beliefs, and identities. And each individual person with a disability has a story to tell. And that's why we're here. Our podcast, You First by Disability Rights Florida, features firsthand interviews with disabled guests, scholars, and advocates covering a wide variety of disability-related issues. We have episodes on voting access, mental health, ableism in academia, disability and reproductive justice, disabled art, accessible video gaming, and much more. Our goal? To have you take away a new perspective on disability and bring awareness and insight to the world around you. You can listen to our latest episodes wherever you're listening now or visit us at disabilityrightsflorida.org forward slash podcast to learn more and find transcripts of all of our episodes. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. 
All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your deliciously disabled host, Andrew Gerza. Let us get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get episode 338 started, shall we? Friends, I just realized that we have just hit the seven-year mark of this show. Our first show aired September 7th, 2016, and it is now, when you're listening to this, it is now September, what is it, what, what will it be on that down Sunday? It'll be the, it'll be the 17th, 17th, yeah, that's right. So we've just on we've hit basically our seven year mark. Wow. Thank you for being a listener to the show of my ramblings basically for the last seven years. Thank you so much for being here. I can't believe we've made it to seven years of the show. Wow, that's that boggles my mind. Thank you so much for being here and supporting the show and for listening and telling your friends and, you know, just being guests and I couldn't have done it without you and I can't do it without you. Thank you so much for listening to my my show. This little show that I thought would never go past 10 episodes. We're now hitting 338 episodes plus bonus stuff that I want to do. Thank you so much for being here. I wanted to say to you, thank you so much. It means so much to me. As somebody who creates the show by myself, I can't thank you enough for listening, for guesting, for financially supporting if you're able to. For leaving a review if you're able to. Please leave more reviews. I love those. Thank you just so much for being here. It fills me with the never-ending joy to do this show. And it means a lot. So thank you. But enough of my rambling. Let's get back to more of my rambling with the show. 
So because it takes me sometimes forever to get through finding which interviews that I want to do, I'm going to do a show today for an episode that we recorded. I recorded back in May of 2022, and I sit down with my neurodivergent friend, Corey Corey Doty from BC, and we talk about their experiences, Corey's experiences being neurodivergent. We talk about both of our experiences living on a benefit system, and we talk about disability grief and so much more. This is such a fun interview to do. It was a really, really honest and fun interview, and I really, really enjoyed it, talking about the reality of the benefit system, the reality of disability grief, the reality of being neurodivergent, the reality of living in a body that you are just learning as being disabled. Corey and I talk about so many different things here, and I really, really enjoyed this one. So without further ado, here's my interview with Corey Doty, right here on Disability After Dark. Enjoy, friends. Corey Doty, hello. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. The world is a trash fire right now. I know that feeling. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay is a relative. Yeah, it's really a suggested option that's there among the other stuff that's like panicked, horrible, don't feel good. Yeah. It's more of a like, let's just use this as a placeholder until you ask another question about what <laughs> what no, no, no. part of this hellscape are we going to discuss? Like, we yeah, yeah. That we're, yes, we're in it together, but um, yeah, which, which side of it are we going to talk about right now? <laughs> well, I can't remember how you and I met. I think we... I think you were on a, I think you were in a class with, with, was it with Anne? No. I don't remember how I came across it exactly, but uh, it was some sort of a workshop thing and um, it was kind of a small group. And yeah, that's right. I was in the, the comments like. And Same I was like, and you're like, hey, come on my show. I was like, okay. I was like, this person seems cool. I will say hello. Um, awesome. So, so, so we can get to know you better at Disability After Dark. Can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do. Of course. Yeah. My name is Corey Doty and uh, I use they, them pronouns. And I live uh, in the unceded Lekwungen territory, colonially known as Victoria. Uh, and I have a five-year-old and, uh, that's like kind of my main gig. (laughs) Um, but then, you know, besides that, I also have worked as an educator, mostly in the realms of like sexual health and harm reduction for a long time. Um, and have sort of like come in and out of participating in that work in formal ways as my own health and disability has needed. And, um, and I also have uh, partners who have like other medical needs as well and health needs. And so we kind of have like a little uh, squad (laughs) of people looking out for each other. Yeah. Like a a pain slash disability slash all the things squad yeah, yeah i know i know those squads. yeah those are good, those are good squads. i like those they're, squads. they're necessary and like you know as a trans person like i've you know i've gone through surgery a few times where i'm like 
there's no structure set up for like how you're supposed to be held outside of that. Like, Oh yeah. You know, they, they'll cover what happens in the hospital and then they're like, Hey, don't use your arms. Have fun. And I mean, that's such a, I mean, we're going to jump right in, but let's just dive right in. I mean, that's such a similar experience to being disabled at the hospital. Like they don't give a fuck what happens to you. The minute you leave the hospital, they're, they literally say to you, which care home do you live at? And you're like, well, I don't live in a care home. I'm a, I don't, what? And yeah. so they don't care, like, they could care less what happens to you. You know, it's funny that you brought that up because I'm going for, when we're recording this, I don't know when this will air, but when we're recording this, I'm going for a colonoscopy in, like, in, like, a month from now, maybe, like, mm-hmm. six weeks from now. And so I said, the doctor phoned me and we we're setting all up and I'm speaking to the, to the gastro guy and he was like, oh, yeah, your family can just help you with the prep and it'll be fine. And I was like, my family doesn't live with me and also like no like i'll figure really it out thing to ask someone to do yeah and i was like it's like i'll figure it out my mom has already agreed to like come and be the soldier and do that for me which is fine but like so then i said like can you just admit me to the hospital for a day or two to do the prep because it'll be a lot easier i can just basically shit your hospital bed and then it'll be fine. He goes, yeah, oh, no. Someone to take care of it, yeah. Yeah. And he goes, oh, no, we can't do that. And I was like, but why? I don't. Okay, fine. Like, sure. So, yeah. You know, we speak about care when it comes to, like, and you're in Canada. So, you know, the shitstorm we're in in Canada right now with care and just how bad it is during this pandemic. And so, like, we talk about care and politicians use the word care, but they have no idea what that means. No, they really don't. Well, and I think for them, it does look different because like <laughs> by and large, the people who are making those choices exist in a different economic class where like having private like squads come in that are on salary, like is just a part of their reality. They don't yeah. blink eye at like how much it would cost to have like 24 hour round the clock care, which like, if you don't, if you're on disability, there's no, there's no way there's no mechanism. Oh yeah. It's impossible. There's, there's no way unless you're in like supported housing or assisted living, which getting on those wait lists is at least 10 to 15 years. Um, I was just lucky enough to get mine when I did. And I've like, I've been lucky enough to get two in the last 10 years, two spots to live. Cause somebody, you know, someone passed away and then the spot opened and then, they were like, we're making a spot in downtown Toronto. Do you want it? And I was like, uh, of course I do. Yeah, great. Sure. It's so like, great. Yeah. But like that, that never happens. Those are like flukes of the system that never occur. <laughs> they never happen. No. And the, the, like the reason that they don't occur seems so stupid and avoidable too, which is the part yeah. where I get really frustrated. You know, like I, I live in a housing complex that is a part of like a nonprofit I don't know how it is in Ontario, but like in BC, the like housing authority has contracts with nonprofit housing providers and that's who takes care of subsidized like housing needs. And so I live in a building that has 21 units and there's like three of them that are like ground level, fully accessible. And then the rest of them are not and like why did they choose to build this building uh where they're like split levels and like up secret stairways and it's like just yeah like super weird so Um, accessible like so not feasible for anybody regardless of like even if you're not 
technically disabled, like still. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's administrative failure, like over and over and over where like one of my neighbors is in one of these units and he's actually said, he's like, I don't need this. I, I can move upstairs. Like I can use the stairs. I'll move upstairs. And they're like, mm, that's not a valid reason for transfer. But meanwhile, like, you know, there's someone who needs. Yeah. There's space. somebody with a wheelchair. That's like, I need to live in a space like this. What? What? Wow. <laughs> yeah. And like the latest news out of Victoria was that like, yes, we need more housing, but we can't build more housing because people who build houses can't afford to be here because housing is too expensive. Great. Um, so yeah. And then, you know, at the same time, there is a new housing building that they're putting up like around the corner from me. And I know it was like probably back and forth in the talks for like a long, long time, but it's being built as like probably somewhere in between like where I live and where you live. I don't like, I'm not totally so, like sure. somewhere in between supported housing. Yeah, some assistance, um, but I think it's, like, mostly targeted for folks who have, like, had difficulty keeping housing, Um, and somehow that building, like, you know, it took a long time for them to decide to do it, but then it was, like, six floors just, like, appeared out of nowhere because they actually just used this building technology that was, like, pre-built blocks, and they just stacked them on top of each other. And they made a house? and And they made this, like, big complex and they're gonna house a whole bunch of people and it you know like from the time that they're like yes we're gonna do this till the time when people are actually gonna be living in it is probably gonna be like less than a year um but like we hum and haw about it for like 15 years yeah and then yeah and it's like there has to be political will behind and then our government say like look how good we are that we made this happen and it's like no you're not because you could have just done it right away like what are you talking about like Um, the fact that there is one to sell like it should not appear in the sea, right? Of like all of the developments that are no, instead of be, like having one like flagship exception that they can be so excited. And proud it should about. be the standard, and like it's yeah. not. But let's back up because we when we dove yeah. right into like all the all our feelings about capitalism, we just dove right in. But let's back up to let's back up to you. And the first question that I want to ask you, and I ask all my guests when they come on the show, is. Can you share with us what your disabilities are and how they impact your day-to-day life? Sure. Yeah. Um, I have a connective tissue disorder, which makes me really bendy. Um, And that has meant that sometimes in my life when I have taken injury, I was hit by a car in my early 20s. um, Things sort of like moved out of where they were supposed to be and then could never really find their way back again. Um, And so my body holds a lot of tension in order to try and hold things in the right places, which means that I live with pain a lot. Um, And I am also neurodivergent as fuck and really struggle to exist in a world that expects me to understand rules that do not make sense to me and a clock that is also not my friend. Um, Yeah, so that and... um, you know, a heap of experiences of depression and anxiety and all those fun things that come along with uh, being ill-fitting in a rigid structure. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's sort of my my personal 
angle on things. Um, and so like just from that, cause I'm neurodivergent too. And I know how like neurodivergent and depression is like best friends. Oh, I know. I know. Um, and you talked about like, you know, what you feeling like you don't fit in these rigid binaries of stuff. Um, as a, is, is the label of disability something you're comfortable with or something you're embracing or something that? Yeah, I, I consider myself like invisibly disabled. Um, and it's something that comes and goes in terms of like how much it impacts me at any given time. It definitely impacts me enough that I can't like succeed within capitalism based on the expectations of like having a job and paying bills um and so I'm glad that I'm like disabled enough to be able to access some supports you know like I I I live on benefits um and so there's that which you know also does have uh another side to it which is, oh i know i mean we could talk about that side I mean, yeah like if you're if you're like disabled enough to need benefits but then also have periods of time where maybe you're like not so disabled that you can't do nothing um there's like disincentive right like yeah it's like I, why would i why would i work because the minute i make a dollar they're gonna take my dollar away exactly like, i feel like a criminal all the time in the work that i do because i work but i never and I hope no one's listening from the organization. I work, but I never, I, I don't claim most of what I make because I'm like, I need to survive. And if I claim this, I'll have no money to live on. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, yeah, I was looking at a, a program a couple of days ago that's like um, uh, theater, uh, something for playwrights. And they're looking for like queer people who want to write the play and it's supported and they like teach you what to do about it or something. I was like, that sounds super cool. And it pays $2,000 a month, which is a thousand dollars more a month than I'm allowed to make. Yeah. Uh, So then I have to do the math of like, does it make sense that I'm going to potentially like lose access, not just to like my full benefits, but also childcare subsidy, housing subsidy, like all of these other things are also hinged on that. Yep. And yeah. Like, I think you should do it. You should just find a way around <laughs> it and be like, so what if we just said, this is an honorary, but what if we just, yes, exactly. <laughs> I spend so much of my time with people that I work with because I give talks and I, I do that kind of stuff. And I do like, a, I'm a, I'm a full fledged like freelancer. That's what I do. So I'm mm-hmm. constantly hustling for my next job because yeah, you like, have to. Yeah. I work with sex workers who have my needs met, and that shit's not cheap. And like, like yeah. I want to, resp- you know. So and I also have bills to pay, and I got to feed myself, and you know whatever. So, but like I'm constantly like, so you, c- I'll bill you, but I'm not gonna really. Uh, if anybody asks me, you, we didn't yeah. do this together, and you're just gonna pretend like it's not in the books. And it's, it's constantly like, if I just don't say anything, and I just hold up the lie enough maybe they won't look at me hard left well and the thing that feels so messed up about that is that like I I fully get that and I think there is a there's a piece that a lot of a lot of folks on benefits struggle with because of the also the access process of like having to 
like the income assistance process in BC is like, you have to do that to get access to disability benefits. Yeah. And the income assistance benefits is like set up in such a way to like specifically shame and like drive fear into people like at every turn. Right. And oh yeah. And then you're going to be surveilled. And if you cheat the system, then you're going to have to pay back with interest in these ways where it's like, how, how am I going to pay back? I'd like, you're not well, giving me enough money to live. Let alone yeah. How, what am I going to do? Like, like, how am I, like I worked for a big Canadian telecom rhymes with robbers, uh, mm-hmm. like 15, almost 20 years ago now. And I, for the first year that I worked there, I didn't tell the government that I was working there because I knew that I would lose money. So yes. I didn't, I didn't say anything and they caught me. And then still, I'm still paying that back with them taking money off my check every month because I didn't tell them and it's like, Oh my God. And so like, if they knew now that I'm a freelancer and I've been lying through my teeth for the last like 10 years, just trying to make a dollar. Like if they knew, (laughs) if they knew I'd be fucked. But then it's like at the same time, like we rack ourselves about like, Oh no, I, I like cheated an extra thousand dollars or whatever. When like the same people who are willing to like, slap us with that shame are subsidizing the oil and gas industry like oh, yeah. billions of dollars every day so like, like i i try and keep that in mind when i'm like okay yes like maybe the system has it against me and also like i don't respect that system and how yeah like i rely on it but like yeah like when i think about all the you know because we're in in covid times when i think about like the number of people that have you know, defrauded big companies and stolen all this money and walked away with like millions of dollars. And I'm like, oh, I've been stealing them for years. I'm like, well, you know, fuck it. If they can do that, why can't I do this? Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Um, Well, yeah, I hope I hope that you don't get in trouble for. I mean, yeah, I hope that nobody from the Ontario Disability Support Program is listening to this. And if you are, whoops, I'm sorry. What do you yeah, keep listening. We'll keep talking about why you should probably quit your job. Or yeah, like, don't work for them anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the things that I want to talk about with you, because I know this all too well, you wanted to talk about changes in your mobility um, and the grief that comes with that and how that affects your mental health. And I know just from my experience as a wheelchair user, like I was told as a kid when I had CP, that my disability would be static. It wouldn't change. It's going to be the way it is forever. And that's a big fucking lie. And it's, as I get older, like the pain gets worse and the muscles get tighter and things change. And like I've said a million times on the show, like I've lost the ability to pee. All this stuff has like changed within the last five, six years. So I know the grief and I call it disability grief. Of yeah. Like, I've, I've listened to some of your shows on I think that's oh. why I was like, I know, I know you want to have this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> 100% I want to. So I want to kind of talk to you about, like, about, just about the changes in mobility and the grief and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like I sort of mentioned, there's like a story for me where um, I, like, I, I've always had the condition that I had, but I didn't know really much about it. I was like first given some indication when I was like 13. Um, But it was uh, at the time, it was actually like the 
doctors were like, oh yeah, we think that maybe you have this, um, something like Marfan's and, um, and then they never called back. And I was like, no news is good news. Cool. I don't need to know about that. And like, just carried on with my life. Um, which meant that like, I probably like got hurt more than most kids. And like, cause my legs just stopped holding me up and stuff. Um, but for the most part, like I have been relatively abled enough that I have passed and been able to like, you know, navigate the world. And hey, then I'm going to pause you for a minute. Cause yeah. the whole, the whole thing crapped out on me and you were, oh. in your, you were in the middle of your story and then it, okay. you, you just came back. So can we take that okay. again from like, totally. I'll say something like, I don't know. I'll say like, hey, so one of the things I want to talk to you about, and I know that we were, we were talking about is like disability grief. And so I yeah, just we, was wondering if you could share that story. Totally. Um, okay. So yeah, like I've always had the connective tissue disorder that I live with, but I didn't always know and sort of like moved through uh, most of my life believing that my body was as doing what I was supposed to do. Um, not really realizing that I was maybe like getting hurt more easily or more often than, um, than people around me. Cause I didn't really know how to take care of the particulars in my body. Yeah. Um, and then when I was 21, uh, I was riding my bike in Vancouver and I was on a bike lane going in a traffic circle and an SUV came, uh, like on the, the side street and yeah. came through the traffic circle without slowing down or seeing me. Um, oh, and I flew up, uh, and around and like kind of corkscrewed my back. And, um, so the impact was like mostly to my knee and my back, um, but it was largely like soft tissue damage. And so that takes a lot longer to figure itself out. And um, especially because of being hypermobile, a lot of the, um, the, a lot of the physio that was immediately offered to me for the first like two years, like it didn't work because they didn't really understand what my body needed um and so you know they would like put something back in place and then it would move again and put something back in place and it would move again and I wasn't really um yeah I wasn't able to uh see like a a typical whatever whatever yeah exactly it was like oh this is just a thing that's gonna go on forever um and so before that you know like I had been a very avid cyclist um I had been like I did big cross-country tours or not like cross-country but like I rode from Halifax to Albany to Montreal and then I like I worked as a messenger in Montreal and I was on my bike all the time um in a way that once I couldn't ride anymore, I realized was a very important part of managing precarious mental health. Um, and for me, like my brain moves very fast and has a lot going on. 
um, and having a practice where like I could be physically moving uh, helped from things building up and getting out of control and scary in my head. Um, And yeah, so in those like, it took me two years after the accident. I like, I stripped the bike down completely. I built new wheels. I powder coated the frame. I like built it very, you know, like I did all of this like delicate work with this hope that like when the bike is ready, then maybe I will be too. And maybe I can get back on my bike. And um, I wasn't. So the bike was ready at two years and then it hung on the wall for another year or two. Um, And yeah. So during that time when I couldn't ride, it was like, Oh, all of that all of that crazy that usually would like come out from like moving and moving and moving yeah uh was building up and then also like pain with that right because I learned that being in a hypermobile body uh like having physical strength and like training for physical strength is like a really important part of reducing pain Um, because if my muscles are strong, then it can help keep my bones from like going everywhere. Dislocating and all Um, that. Yeah. 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 And so like, as I got less strong and also just like more in pain and had realized that like my only mental health coping strategies involved like large scale movement and physicality, I was like, oh shit, like I need a new tool set. Um, and you know, I need to learn how to be okay with like not being able to get up. Like if I can't, if I can't get up and go, like what, what, what do, do what I, I do with myself? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, that, I, and I, I think a lot of disabled people listening to this, whether they acquire disability or whether like, like not that your hypermobility was acquired, but like it was accentuated by what happened changed. to you. Yeah. yeah. And I think, a lot of us with disabilities hearing you say like if I'm alone with my thoughts and I can't move what the fuck do I do and I resonate with that of like because I'm alone a lot I spend a lot of my time as a freelancer alone in my house where I where it's the most accessible for me doing what I got to do and I spend so much time alone with my with my neurodivergent intrusive as fuck thoughts that are like you're not good you're not worthy enough no, 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 no. all the internalized ableism so like I resonate with that so hard of like, if I can't do something in this last two years, like going through a pandemic has been so much time alone. Like, and so I fully resonate with if I can't, if I can't get out and do stuff, what do I do? Yeah. And I'm, I said to people a number of times over the past couple of years, like, obviously this is a hard situation in general for all of us, and you know, not to downplay that in any way. And I am so glad that it was not my first experience of mental health collapse because I, I feel like I've been through the like, oh yeah, okay, well, what do I do if I'm at home? What if, what do I do if I can't go out? Because yeah. I've, I have experienced that. And I think that a lot of people have experienced that for the first time in the past couple of years. Yeah. And that's like where some of the pressure to like get back to 
quote unquote whatever. normal, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Where like they just can't actually comprehend like what if when things change, they change in a way that they don't go back. Um, which is something that a lot of us have had to realize of like, oh, like maybe that's not happening anymore. Yeah. And so like, you know, that idea of realizing that when things change, they may not go back to normal, like as a disabled person. And you talked about like your search for if I can't ride the bike, what do I do? How did you how did you like shift that energy to to find other things that would would supplement that for you? Um, well, I will say that, you know, this was in like 2009, 2010 was sort of like the height of it. And the internet was not nearly as captivating then as it is now. Um, (laughs) I feel like I don't have as much difficulty, uh, losing hours and hours these days as I did, uh, at that time. And that's in part because we have like, built platforms where we curate interaction and like content sharing in a way that like you know there was there was a little bit of looking at stuff on I you know I've always I've been on the internet since like 98 there's some amount of like that's always been some outlet Um, yeah yeah but yeah it wasn't it wasn't nearly as exciting in in 2008 so I you know or nine I I read I got into like trying different kind of arts and crafts things I yeah judging from what I can see here you you seem like an artsy person that doesn't surprise me at all yeah there's a little bit of the like uh ADHD craft hoarder tendency of like I've tried them I've tried most of (laughs) I have the supplies to try most of the things and I actually I also went to uh I went to shop teacher school which is kind of similar where like I learned how to do the starting of like how to not hurt yourself if you are doing woodworking or metalworking or building robots or like what all kinds of different things but or building robots yeah (laughs) yeah but not enough to like actually be really good at any of those things but I've tried a lot of them I understand the like basic entry principle should you want to try it um and yeah so I've kind of uh what did they say uh master of nothing well, I wouldn't say nothing. You're a master of a lot of little things. A lot of little things. Exactly. More, I am a, a dappler. And the, the things that I have put my 10,000 hours in are, um, what was I saying to someone the other day? Uh, sex and the internet and uh, performing a type of masculinity that allows me safety in a fucked up world. Tell me a little bit more about that, the performing masculinity part, because... I have just started using they, he pronouns within the last year because I feel like masculinity for me as a disabled person is completely different and a lot softer than I think most of the gay for gay, like scruff and grind and all those apps that queer men go on to see sex from each other. It's so, the masculinity is so like so much harder than I, than my masculinity is. And so like, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Like, I, I don't feel like my masculinity will ever be that hard stuff because of disability. And so mm-hmm. they is kind of like a nice fuck you to all of that convention. Like, I don't want to be involved in any of that. I want to be this unicorn completely different from you. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I feel, I feel like anyone by any sort of like token of being able to observe how men operate from like a step removed um, can see like, oh, that's maybe not something that I want to have just like an unfettered association with. Yeah. Um, Like, (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. If we're in a sex scene and like some guy wants to be super masculine, sure. Great. I'm all for it. No problem. But like, otherwise not so much. Yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, the example where this came up in conversation the other day, I was talking to a friend who needed to access medical care and had been like disregarded. And so was going to be going back with a buddy. Um, and the buddy who she was going with, like, is read as a man. And, and I was like, you know, you're automatically going to be given more like power and the- you're going to be, believed more like I wish that wasn't true but like if there's a man with you like they're gonna treat you better and they're gonna believe you more um and and you know she was like yeah I'm gonna like put him in a suit and like wave the dicks around and I was like no actually like the way that masculinity has to be performed in order to like access things and and be able to navigate things more easily it has to be really like um, dude quiet yeah yeah like you don't want to look like three three kids in a trench coat you know it's not drag it's not like i'm not here to make a make a mockery of men i just want you to think that i might be one enough that i can like go into the bathroom and use it safely yeah yeah um and and so there is an amount that it is a bit uh like non-confrontational um but also like confident I don't know I I'm just remembering I went on a date with this very rich boy when I was like 13 and uh we snuck around the back of this like fancy hotel and he told me he was I was like can we be here like are we allowed to be doing this and he was like you just have to act like you're supposed to be here and I was like, is that really all there is to it? I mean, that's kind of life. You just act like you're supposed to be here. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I think that there is, there's some amount of like, especially with the illusions of gender and things where it's like, when we're insecure about something, we can really like go like overcompensate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And like, my some of my observations about like overcompensation you know I started transitioning in like mid-aughts and at the time a lot of trans guys that I met uh were like they had adopted a really toxic masculinity because that was like how they felt like they were going to be taken seriously as men and you know like being able to feel safe um as men was important um but also like they were fucking assholes i know and um i was like i don't think i want that i don't and i was worried at first i was like does testosterone turn you into an asshole like is that what happens uh but then you know have since realized like oh no it's that's actually just like insecurity like 
people were behaving in that way because they thought that was the only way that they would be like safe and respected. Uh, and a lot of assholes who are being like gross, toxic masks are they're they're really insecure. Yeah, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Um, so I'm curious because I'm always curious because I like to like play with the intersection of stuff. Mm. So how does how do you think your trans identity has an impact on your disability identity and vice versa? Yeah, I mean, um, liminal spaces, right? Like there are ways where I'm like, yeah, man adjacent and also like my affiliations and history in like dyke scenes are also super important to me and so I'm gonna like straddle both of those things um and likewise like for me there are aspects of my disability both in terms of like what that means for my life and what I'm allowed to be like you know how much how much I can accomplish or participate in and what like those sort of uh the economics of it that we were talking about before but also like the um like on a more intimate level I identify somewhat as like a sick for sick like the way that I would explain that is that like I I know that being able-bodied and well is a temporary state and I don't know where I would begin to build intimacy with someone who didn't also know that. Like, even if they were still able-bodied, if they thought that was going to last, I don't know how we would begin to connect. Um, and that's really cool. Like, cause I see, cause he wrote that on the forum and I was like, I've heard sick for sick before, but I didn't necessarily understand what it meant. And now I'm just like, wow, that's kind of cool because you're, it's almost the same. Like I'm not, not only am I disabled as a wheelchair user, but I also have chronic stuff like IBS and I shit myself constantly. And so like, I understand exactly what you're saying. Like, I don't know if I could be with somebody who was like, oh yeah, I'm healthy and I'm good. Are you? Like, what is it? For how oh, long? Like, yeah. And also what the fuck is that like? How does it feel to be okay every day? Yeah. And especially because we know that it's temporary that like, does that then mean that like when you get hit by a car or your gut stop stop working or whatever, that like your disabled partner is going to be responsible to like handhold you through that? Like as you have this like deep loss of yeah. illusion, like that doesn't make sense. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like there is, I don't know. I, I had, uh, the one of the ways that I found out more about my connective tissue disorder and like sort of ended up getting more solutions around like how to take better care of my body was that I dated someone else who had the same condition um, or like a really similar condition. And um, when we were in bed, like they would be like, Oh, I need to stay. I need to take a break. I need to like, put different pillows and like we were talking about pain and accommodation in a way that I had never really experienced before um and I've never I have no interest in going back <laughs> like okay so you mean you have no interest in going back to not talking about it or you have been mm-hmm. 
Yeah. To trying to build a sense of like safety and intimacy with someone who doesn't. I would love to have that conversation in bed with a dude. I have never had that conversation once in bed with a guy about like both of our, both of our pain levels. I'm always the one talking about my disability or whatever it is and whatever I need. But I would love it if 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 another guy that I was fucking was like, let me stop you for five minutes. And tell you about my pain. I'd be like, and so we're fucking for a long time now because that's awesome. Tell me more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's just there's something that's really lovely about it, you know. And like to to be able to be like, hey, like you know, we see each other through these changes, and that's like, or, it's not, even, not, a or not, even, not even through the change. Like, I'll sit with you as it's changing and it's gonna suck and you're gonna hate it and you're not gonna like it and I'm not gonna like it either but here it is yeah like I don't I I say often that like we don't really get an opt-out of suffering and so anytime we can opt into pleasure we should yeah Um, um yeah I mean I think that's I think like that's, I mean, that that should be the tagline for this fucking episode. Because <laughs> we should, you're right, we should opt into pleasure. So speaking of trans-disabled pleasure for you, mm-hmm. what does that look like for you? What does pleasure look like for you? Um, I'm greedy. <laughs> Go on, tell me the story. Um, oh, you want a story? Okay. No, um... Or just, like, whatever you want, whatever <laughs> you want to share. No, I... I will say that like one of the things that has been really challenging for me um, in the pandemic is that like, I miss, uh, I miss like being in spaces like sex parties and bathhouses. Like I really like putting on a show. Um, and <laughs> I'll just make some notes. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I, I like getting fisted and I like watching people watch me. Um, And um, I like really, I I think that one of the things is I I like really like athletic sex with people who live with pain. It's like a very specific thing where like, we're going to like go so hard and then be like, Oh God, I can't. Um, But like, so, when are we hanging out is what i want to know uh i don't know when are you coming to victoria when are you coming to toronto (laughs) i don't know i i came to toronto uh for a brief uh, i came for a week like just before my daughter turned two because that was when uh we i didn't have to pay for her to have a plane ticket um and yeah it was it was really fun i had never been to toronto before and i just like took a week to uh be a tourist uh, with a toddler and um that, that sounds fun and it also was fun. and also uh, uh, like a hellscape that i don't know if i'd be ready for <laughs> uh yeah i mean again it's like these are the things that happened in another world and i don't expect them to go back like i don't expect to um to feel like i want to be in an airplane without a mask ever again right? i like i never want to i never want to blow on a birthday cake candles blow on it and then serve it to my friends what the hell is that (laughs) uh yeah yeah we've had some i've you know 
been to some kid birthday parties in the last few years and there's been some really interesting workarounds some fun ways to do it um you know and everyone gets their own cake and um or like my sister made for her for her kid's birthday she made like rainbow jello shooters but for everybody um I like that and so like you know everyone had their own cup and yeah we went to a place where the little kids got to ride on ponies wearing horns and it was like a unicorn theme I'm here for that mm-hmm. yeah it was a, it was the first thing that we like kind of came back into like the first party in COVID and where there's like a provider who's like offering outdoor events with lots of hand washing and all the kids are like wearing their masks and riding on little ponies and that's cute i mean that's adorable yeah i would like to run a mask and ride on something else entirely but <laughs> yes um i could sit and talk with you about all these things all day long because i had such a, it was so fun to sit and do this with you and i feel like there should be a part two of this because I, like yeah. I feel like the conversation was like only halfway done um but I really, really like talking to you about disability, about grief, about your disabilities, and about the connection to disability and sick for sick. Like, I, I kind of like that now. I think that's a term that I'm going to be adopting or, or like, taking from you gently and being like, I'm going to use it everywhere because it's a great idea. Um, and thank you for talking about that. How can the people get a hold of you? How can they follow your work? How can they support you? Yeah. Um, okay. I have a website that is my name, dot com, And you can find all of the things there. I'm also on Instagram, although I keep it um, like a request. You have to request to follow me because I, I have some issues with the far right. And that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, and I'm on Facebook. I have a Cory Doty educator page and I have a Patreon. That's my name, too. So you can find me all over the place. Nice. Support yeah. trans disabled folks and support the Patreon because shit ain't cheap, man. And we need help. And so mm-hmm. Patreon.com slash Cory Doty. Do it now. Figure it out. I know you're listening. I know some of you have dollars and those of you who don't, that's OK. But tell your friends to do <laughs> Thanks, um, um, but I would love to stay in touch with you and I'd love to chat some more. And this is a really free flowing, fun conversation today. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, let's do it again. For sure. Thanks so much for being here today. And we, I will talk to you in five seconds when I hit off. Yeah. But, uh, thanks for being on the show. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. All right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your delectable daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for being here and shining a light on these stories with me. Thank you. If you want to follow my work, you can go to www.andrewgerza.com. Anytime, all my links are there. If you want to support the show in any way, you can leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and that will give you access to the show one day early, completely ad-free for as little as $1 a month or $5 a month or more if that works for your budget. Also, there are yearly amounts available there. So if you wanted to do that, that would be great. If you're able to, I would appreciate it. 
If you want to be a guest on the show, please email me directly at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com or andrew at andrewgerza.com. I would love to have you and shine a light on your story. Thank you so much for listening to these episodes and supporting disability content by listening to Disability After Dark. And we will see you for our next episode in two weeks. Thanks, friends. Talk to you soon. Bye! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Cripple & Co-Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2023